Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, wherever you are, however you may be listening, whether it be via SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day. Also, whether you're listening via WJCU, John Carroll College Radio Station, or the WCETFM Radio Network on LateNightInTheMidlands.com. Appreciate the listen. Click, comment, like, and subscribe. Uh, episode 86, I believe, right? 86, 85, 86? No, it might be 86, 87. I'm, I'm forgetting because we're doing so many podcasts. We're doing so many great stuff right now. A lot, lot's going on. Here's where I want to start. And by the way, we're going to have Jason Cavari on. This is going to be the first time Jason Cavari ever comes on the regular podcast. Jason's been a great soldier for a long time. He always comes on the radio version. Uh, now we're going to get him on the podcast, regular podcast. Uh... We're going to talk Warriors, the Warriors run, our NBA history segment. For those of you who don't know, me and Jason, we do a, a semi-regularly, going to do a more now that we're in the summer, of NBA history. And, you know, we've done uh, top shooting guards of all time. We've done where players rank all time. We've done biggest draft busts of all time. But this one's really interesting, and it's a really interesting idea. And it pertains a lot of recency of what's going on right now in the NBA. So you're going to want to hear that. We're going to have that interview in about 10, 12 minutes. You don't want to miss that. It's going to be really interesting and really fun, I swear. But here's where we're going to start, right? Easter Conference Finals. Toronto Raptors. Milwaukee Bucks. Now, Giannis had a very uh, putrid performance. Uh, if, I'm, if, it was a great, if I was a teacher, I would give him an F. 12 points, 8 turnovers, 0 for th- 0 of 3 from 3-point range, 2 of 7 from free throw. He fouls out of the game, and he goes 5 of 14 from the field altogether. That is an F performance. That is a fail. That is a... It's a stanker. It's a dud. It's a party pooper. That's what that performance is. Especially in a game in Toronto where Milwaukee comes back, and they have the opportunity to go up 3-0 in a series, and we know in NBA Every team that's ever gone up 3-0 in a series, they've never lost. This was a big game, and Kawhi took it from Giannis. Hate to see it. But I'm going to give Giannis, I I want us to all remember this about Giannis. He's 24. Yes. Did he poop the bed? Did he wet the bed? Did he spit the bit? Yeah, he did. But he's also 24. He's young. Let's give it time. Let's give it time. This series is still yet to be determined. There's a whole other story to go on in this series. Because this is going to go six, seven games. But here's what I will say. I know I just said Giannis is young. But I will not give Giannis a break even though he's young. And you want to know why? Because I was thinking, should I give Giannis a break? Should I criticize Giannis? I was I was fighting back and forth. It was like this yen, this yang. It was this push, this pull. I was debating him with myself. Should I? Should I give him a break? And then I decided no. And here's the reason why I decided not to give Giannis a break. If we go back to last year at this time. Eastern Conference Finals, right? Boston Celtics, Cleveland Cavaliers. If LeBron James had a 12-point game, eight turnovers, didn't make a three-point shot, went two or seven from free throw, fouled out the game, went five or 14 from the field, we would be lighting LeBron James up right now. Everybody. Every pundit, every analyst, every writer, every commentator, every fan, social media would be blowing up. How many times have we criticized KD? Remember Western Conference Finals last year? We criticized KD. He's letting P.J. Tucker rough him around. We're criticizing Russell Westbrook this postseason. He can't make his teammates better. High volume. No efficiency. James Harden. We're saying he's a choker. Steph Curry. He's not clutching the postseason. He's too small. He gets exposed on-ball defense. We've criticized star after star after star in this league. So what makes Giannis any different? What makes Giannis every different? A couple weeks ago, everybody, there were posters, there were wanted signs out for Ben Simmons' jump shot. It was missing, and we still haven't found it, but there were still wanted signs out. People were criticizing Joel Embiid for being hurt. Yes, Giannis is young. Yes, I love Giannis. But if Giannis is the MVP, because he probably will be MVP, 
If he is the best player in the NBA, you could certainly make that argument that he deserves our criticism. He deserves your criticism. He deserves to be challenged. He deserves for us to expect more than him. We should expect more from Giannis. The 20 rebounds are nice. I like it. I love it. The 12 points? Not making a three-point shot? Fouling out? Wah, wah, wah. Two of seven from free throw and airballing a free throw? It's not good. It's a stinker. It's a stinker. Giannis deserves criticism for him. He does. Now, I want to give you guys a clip of audio, right? Uh, for those of you who don't know, Colin Cowherd and Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield, they've had a little bit of a controversy going on. And I think it's really interesting. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'll explain this really quickly. Colin Cowherd did a top 10 moments of Odell's career, and most of them were the embarrassing moments. The cocaine incident in uh, France, Paris, France, where there's the French powder on the on the bed or whatever the meltdowns on the sidelines the fighting the net the boat trip before the playoff game the only actual football thing colin had was the catch oh right the catch that will live uh perpetuity forever right and odell calls him out criticize him but this is what colin cowherd had to say and colin cowherd said very interesting i'm gonna play you the clip of what colin cowherd said that's right. We're in OTAs. It's already dysfunctional. Let's let's retrace the steps here with me and OBJ. Uh, I always supported Odell Beckham Jr. in New York. I said, listen, he's young, he's dynamic, fighter. He needs to move. This is not working. And I and I said that I said I don't like all of his nonsense, but this kid's great. This kid's an all timer. Eli's a shot fighter. Uh, he's doing some nice things. You got to you got to put this kid with a legit top ten quarterback. Uh, and then I, I also said on the air before he left New York, I said I think he's going to get traded despite what the Giants said. And I said, you know, this kid was not dysfunctional at LSU, and he was not dysfunctional his first year in New York. He's gotten kind of chaotic as the Giants have become chaotic. And I said on the air, I said, let's be honest about this. Maybe he's just a young kid that doesn't work well in chaos. I can I, I know personally I don't either. I, I'm a child of divorce. I like less conflict, steady management, quiet in the house. And he reached out to me. And he said, uh, you kind of nailed it on that. And it was a really neat 30-minute conversation. I was up in Utah hanging out skiing. And we really connected. And I said, hey, uh, he told me some things I still won't relay to you about where he wanted to play, whatever. Then he signs with Cleveland. I sent him a congrats uh, kick butt. Uh, because, you know, I knew it wasn't exactly where he wanted to go. But it was a good start. Baker Mayfield's very accurate. Uh, as a thrower, OBJ runs the best slant pattern in the league. I'm like, good, he'll, he'll get stats. At least he's playing now with a young quarterback, moving into his prime. It's a good feeling for him. That's right. Now, let's dissect what Colin Cowherd said. The most important thing, I know that's exactly, not exactly where he wanted to go when Colin uh, interesting Odell going to Cleveland. Colin's also mentioned the fact that Odell reached out to Colin. They had a nice 30-minute conversation. And Colin also said, and Colin is doing his best with integrity. He's not going to say the team or the teams that Odell mentioned to him about that he would rather go to instead of the Browns. But but I have no reason to believe that this, this isn't true. I have no reason to believe it. So I'm going to operate under the assumption that this is true, right? And you might say, why, Daryl? How could this be true? Well, listen, LeBron left Cleveland and LeBron grew up in Cleveland. LeBron grew up in Northeast Ohio. He grew up in Akron. He's left. Two times. What makes you think Odell wants to go? Listen, Odell's from Louisiana. He's from down south. He's been in New York the last five, six years. Big cultural difference, folks, between Louisiana, New York City, Cleveland. <laughs> okay? Okay? Right? Cultural differences, people differences, food differences, weather differences, nightlife differences, uh, marketing differences, just a lot of differences. So I can understand why maybe it wouldn't be the most thrilled. But here's what I want to say quickly, right? And we're like I said, we're going to have Jason Navari on the show in a couple of minutes, our NBA history segment. You're going to want to listen to it. So here, I'm going to name the teams that Odell mentioned to Colin, probably. This is my opinion. I don't know. I don't have any sourcing on this. I'm just going to say the teams that I think Odell mentioned to Colin. That he would want to play for, uh, play play with, uh, play for before the Cleveland Browns. I'm gonna tell you why. The New York Jets. Why the New York Jets? Well, it's still he still gets to be in the back page, back page headlines. 
right? New York Jets have a new head coach, Adam Gase, new direction, you know, new everything. They have the money. They can pay him, right? The New York Jets have an abundance of cap space. Still gets New York life. And he gets to kind of stick it to the Giants. He's still in the city. And it's like, I'm producing in your city. What y'all going to do about it? It's kind of that. My next team, staying with the New York Giants. I think in a perfect world, Odell would prefer to stay with the New York Giants. Blue blood NFL franchise. Great organization. Great ownership. I know Eli's a shot fighter. Eli's not very good. Eli's a scrub at this point. But there's still a lot of benefits to being in New York City. My next team, the New England Patriots, even going back to last season, before Odell signed his extension with the Giants, that Odell could potentially be traded to the New England Patriots. Now, why would Odell want to go to the Patriots? Right? The Patriots way. You have an opportunity to confer a championship. You have an opportunity for Tom Brady to throw you passes. I mean, who wouldn't want that? You get to be coached by Bill Belichick. He gets to be in a structured environment where he has a chance to win. He hasn't had a chance to win in New York. He hasn't with the Giants. He hasn't. So he gets all that. And four, my next team and my last team, the Los Angeles Rams. Sean McVay is widely regarded as one of the best play callers in football. You have Jared Goff, who's a young quarterback, can grow with Odell Beckham. This team just went to the Super Bowl this season. They have a lot of young studs. Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, Aaron Donald. And the team on the rise, and it's a team that's going to be in the NFL pitcher, in the NFL postseason pitcher, in the NFL championship pitcher for years to come. Not to mention the fact it's in L.A. And we know, Odell, if you're moving from New York City, you might as well go to Los Angeles. Tinseltown, you might as well. And I'm going to give you one more team, a bonus team. The San Francisco 49ers. Kyle Shannon, head coach. A guy that's regarded as a top three mind offensively in the, in the NFL in terms of being a play caller. Nice weather, San Francisco. Bay Area. Look at all the business ventures that are going on. Uh, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Draymond, all the stuff those guys are doing in the, you know, the Bay Area, San Francisco. Also, Jared Goff. I mean, excuse me, Jimmy Garoppolo. Younger quarterback, still developing. A team on the rise, right? You're going to have Jimmy Garoppolo. You have Kyle Shanahan as your coach. Like I said, top three play call in the NFL. You have Nick Bosa, who's going to be a stud pass rusher. 49ers are going to sneak up on some people. And remember, there are reports about OBJ potentially going to the 49ers too. So those are my five teams that I think he mentioned to Kyle and wanted to go to. I don't know which one was number one on that list, but I guarantee you one of those five teams was meant, And one of those five teams was where he exactly wanted to go, but he didn't. Now, later in the show, I'm going to talk about, does Odell really want to be in Cleveland? And I'm going to dive into that. But before that, I'm going to have Jason Gavari on the show, and we're going to do our NBA history segment. Like I said, you won't want to miss it. Cut up next, after the break, on Barbershop Sports Talk. with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have Jason Cavari with us, and we're going to do our weekly segment that we do with Jason. We haven't done it in a while. It's our NBA history segment. Jason, tell us, what do you have for us today? Well, today I figured a relevant thing with the playoffs going on as they are right now, I wanted to take a look at the, uh, the current Warriors. I want to look at this dynasty where it started with that drafting Curry, Thompson, Draymond, the Mark, uh, Mark Jackson area Warriors and move through their championships when they picked up KD and moving into discussing them now without KD and what this team looks like in this season, in these playoffs. Okay, so we have three parts. So we have Mark Jackson Warriors, Steve Kerr Warriors, and now the current Warriors without Kevin Durant again. Yes, sir. Okay, now let's start with the Mark Jackson Warriors. What do you got for me on that? I just thought it's really interesting looking at how a lot of teams built themselves now. You know, it's going to be through free agency when teams will bring in proven stars. But for a team to draft like that, that's really unprecedented in today's league. And that's only going back to 2009, 2010, and that era. You got to think how crazy that is that they drafted that well. It's not like these guys were like top lottery picks either. You know, these were lower in the tens and the, the high teams. They picked these guys up that carried them, that became this insane super team here. And they did that through the draft, not through free agency. 
And I think what's also really interesting when you look at this, right, like Clay, uh, Clay Thompson, I believe, was uh, drafted 11th, so bottom of the lottery. You have Steph Curry, who I believe was drafted 9th, bottom of the lottery. And Draymond Green's a second-round pick. So obviously a great job by the Warriors scouting department finding those three guys. But how do you think those guys were all able to develop and become what they were in Golden State? You know, honestly, looking at the way they came up, I really think what it took for them, obviously they had the talent, right? But what allows that talent to develop? An absence of pressure and expectations and an abundance of time. When you have those two things together, when nobody's rushing a player, when nobody's telling them, we expect you to win championships by year three, it allows you to naturally, organically develop your game to this point. And I think they're successful because people didn't really have those expectations for them. Because people didn't say, all right, you're going to win straight out. you got to be a year-in, year-out, all-star, first-team, all-NBA. They just let it grow organically. And that's the way you should do it. Now, did you think that Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, any of them could be as good as they were? I had no idea, no. If we're going back then, their first couple years, yeah, obviously we knew Steph and Clay were great shooters. We knew Draymond had an awesome all-around game, great defender at Michigan State, but... I mean, how could you predict a run like that, that they would get that good? You know, multiple MVPs for Steph, and first-team All-NBA votes for all of them. You know, All-NBA defensive votes for Draymond. Like, it's insane. I don't think anybody could have called that back then. Now, when we talk about, like, expectations, right, there was a point in time where in the West, like, for example, Oklahoma City, the other young team, you have Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Kevin Durant, and you can make an argument maybe it was their downfall is they were rushed, you know, Everybody was talking about them so soon. Are can they win the West? Are they better than the Spurs? Are they better than the Lakers? Do you think that is that what you're talking about when you talk about being rushed and how you let a team grow organically? Ultimately, yeah, and that might be because the picks are high. Obviously, Durant being picked second and uh, Westbrook being picked high as well. So was Harden. There's yeah higher expectations with that. You know, you pick a guy high in the lottery like top five, he's automatically got expectations attached to him to be, if nothing else, a very good starter. But you expect for him to be an all-pro, for him to do a lot of good for your team above just what a normal starter in the league would do. And I think the issue there was people saw the talent already inherent in these players, and they're like, okay, so we're going to set these expectations for him, and you guys more or less have to match this for us to consider your potential fulfilled. Now, Steph Curry, there was a time, right, early in the Warriors era where I believe Klay Thompson was still, I don't know if Klay Thompson was drafted, Draymond wasn't drafted, it was Steph and Monte Ellis. And Steph had bad ankles. You talk about, how could those ankles have derailed Steph's career? It seems like there's always an injury at the wrong moment. You know, like the 2016 playoffs, we were discussing earlier, that might have been a little bit of the reason, or it definitely was a little bit of the reason in the finals why he had some issues. I think he's had some issues in these playoffs here. I actually don't remember a year where he really hasn't had an ankle issue at some point. Do you think, now we look at Mark Jackson, right, the Mark Jackson Warriors, and I also think when we look at this team, as they ended up getting better, there was one year they lose. Actually, this was the, the year before Mark Jackson got fired. Uh, they lose in seven games to the Clippers, right? Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan. Another year, yeah. I believe they beat the Nuggets, who were the three seed. Then they end up taking the Spurs to like six games in the conference semis. You know, decent runs, but never made to the conference finals. So I think there was always a, uh, and I don't know about this for you, but for me, there was always a cap. We thought this Warriors team could be pretty good, but never elite. Mm. Oh, absolutely kind of like what we thought this Blazers team right now would be, you know, pretty good. good One of the best backcourts in the league and Nurkic when he was hurt, solid players, solid role players, you know, with Rodney Hood, Seth Curry. But, you know, that's not an elite team, right? That's what we also thought about the Warriors. That's what I personally thought. And I think that's why Mark Jackson got fired because he couldn't take it to the next level. Now, who do you think takes credit in the Golden State Warriors organization? Because right now, let's use the Portland Trailblazers as an example, because use them as an example. Nobody thinks that Damian Lillard, TJ McCollum, and Nurkic next year can take it to a whole other level and start competing with the Golden State Warriors. I think most of us think that 
They won't even be in the conference finals next year. Who do you think in the Golden State Warriors organization takes credit for saying maybe that Mark Jackson took this team as far as they can go and that maybe there's a whole nother level to what the Warriors can be? Who do you think deserves credit in the organization for that? I think you got to split it. You can't just say it was all Steve Kerr because these guys were drafted. Bob Myers in the front office obviously did a great job there. But you also got to look at what Kerr did. And you got to look at what Jackson did in the beginning, allowing these guys to develop naturally, and then Kerr took over. It's like in stages, you know. Jackson was that first stage that let them develop naturally, that didn't push them, and they became sort of the players that became what they were because they weren't forced into anything. And Kerr took that and developed it further. So I think you've got to split between those three men, between, well, those three groups, the front office, Mark Jackson, and Steve Kerr and looking at why these Warriors are so great today. Now let's go to the second stage. Mark Jackson gets fired. Steve Kerr comes in. Right away, what's the biggest difference into why Steve Kerr was able to take these guys to a whole nother level? I think it's because he brought in his own system. Steve Kerr changed the way the Warriors played and brought it back to some mix of an old-school kind of basketball with lots of passing, just find the best shot, you know. If you have a good shot, pass it again. It'll probably be the best shot. But also, shooting an unprecedented amount of threes. So he married the best parts of the newer game with the best parts of the older game. And that's why they're so fun to watch. They play it the right way. In the, in the words of basketball purists, with all the passing they do, with all the screens they set, all the off-ball motion. But they also bring in the analytics with the smarter shots, shooting as many threes as possible, and getting rid of the mid-range two completely. Now, when did you, because also I will say this too, right, we talked about Steph Curry, because I want to start with Steph Curry. I never thought Steph Curry could be an MVP when I saw him, and I remember the last year with him and Mark Jackson and the Clippers, I never thought Steph Curry could be an MVP. Then it comes into uh, year one, I mean, year one under Steve Curry, and I was like, okay, the Warriors are winning 60-plus games. Steph Curry's going to be an MVP. Are they really going to win the championship? They win it. And then the second year happens. And Steph Curry averaged 30 points per game. He starts hitting shots from like 40 feet. Uh, <laughs> after he crosses half court, teams start checking him. Uh, Draymond Green's Defensive Player of the Year candidate. Clay Thompson's one of the best two-way players in the league. And they win 73 wins. Talk about then the level, because it seems they go up to that. I think then you also got to look at the culture with that team. They had been so comfortable together, and it was just such a great organization overall. Like, that's an example of how to run your organization really well. That because they were that comfortable, because the coaching was that great, because the front office was awesome and surrounded these guys with the pieces they needed to succeed, they were able to take their games to another level. And again, I think Steve Kerr was similar to Mark Jackson and that he didn't really force his guys negatively to feel the pressure, you know? If he felt or forced them to, to feel any pressure, any expectations in any way, it was in a positive way that he helped them develop their games to a different level. And I think that's part of the genius of Steve Kerr as well, not doing anything negative for his guys. Talk about the impact a guy like Andre Iguodala had on the Warriors. Iguodala? Yes. He has been one of those glue pieces, I think. You know, you can have all those stars, but you'll need a guy who can play great defense, who can pass a lot, who has huge basketball IQ. Another guy that's a similar guy was Borgia, you know, Spurs for many years. You need some kind of a do-it-all guy to take over in certain situations, to make those clutch plays down the stretch. Like, he still is here in these playoffs here. And he's been huge for them every year where he's not been hurt. Obviously, 2016 finals, he was hurt, he was out. But every time he's healthy, he's in, especially in the playoffs, he's making the right play at the right time, keeping the team together. Now, that Warriors team, you know, they beat Michael Jordan's Bulls record, have the best regular season record in NBA history. They lose the Cavs, right? Uh, moment in Cleveland sports history that will never be forgotten. But then after that, the Warriors change slightly. Draymond Green cries in the parking lot, and he says, KD, we need you, KD. LeBron bullied us. KD, KD. 
Katie's like, I got you guys. I got you boys. And then the Warriors go up a whole nother level. Talk about that. Well, I think that was interesting because I think it really changed the way they play fundamentally. You know, now you have four all-stars between Draymond, between KD, between Steph, and between Clay. And there's only one ball to go around, right? So someone's got to give up touches there. Draymond gave up his touches. You know, we see him completely out of the scoring that he used to do, still making a huge impact on the passing, defensive, and rebounding side of the game, but he really doesn't take care of any of the scoring responsibilities anymore, and he didn't need to. But with KD being there, I think it's also interesting to look at what it did to the system overall. It made it different from what was Warriors basketball as we came to know it, you know? I think KD, as much as he tried to fit with the team, they're going to play his own game. Well, it's not a bad thing. Obviously, they're better with him there. They're better with him there, objectively. There's no argument to that. But he's changed that beautiful, free-flowing passing system. It's a, when he gets it, it's more of an isolation thing in that offense. I think that's the biggest difference. I do think they're better, but I think it's changed what we had come to know as Warriors ball from the years prior. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, if you go back to the Clipper series this year, right, you have Patrick Beverly guarding KD, and it's like, okay, why is KD taking 30 shots a game? Well, Patrick Beverly's six foot, and uh, Kevin Durant's seven foot, so you should naturally <laughs> evolve to, to seven Kevin Durant, right? But it slows down the, it, it affects the offense, right? You're sacrificing something, you know, to get something. Uh, is that what you're talking about, Kyrie? You know, you, you have to, because he's that good. Just in general, yeah, he is that good. But by the nature of him being there and by the of him being that isolation type scorer, it changes offense overall. I agree. Now, I also think what makes this work, too, what makes Kevin Durant work better, like, I think Kevin Durant would work better in the Spurs system than a Kawhi or a LeBron because of Kevin Durant's shooting ability. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, historically good shooter. Slash, I think, did he make 50, 40, 90 twice? Yeah. Yeah, unprecedented shooting numbers here. This guy is an incredible shooter. And that's what a system like that would need, you know? That's what the Spurs lack right now. Not to, to get too far off the topic and start discussing the Spurs, but, you know, obviously they need shooting, and that would take that team to another level, I think, to be able to incorporate a star that could hit reliably from outside. Yeah, it looks like they need Kawhi. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Probably be in the Western Conference Finals right now if they had him, too. Uh, actually, you know what? Wait, I don't want to get sidetracked really quickly, but if they had Kawhi, uh, they'd be beating the Warriors right now, actually. The, the Warriors would be in trouble. The Warriors would be in trouble if the Spurs had Kawhi right now. Because, mm. you know, I think what that front office would do to surround that team with talent um, of that equal level if they're playing through the season with, uh, with Kawhi there instead of DeMar. And um, I think Danny Green would still be there, too. He wouldn't have been tripped up this year. So you have one of the best shooters in the league, best catch-and-shoot shooters in the league on your team as well. And Aldridge's great season this year, I don't think that would have gone anywhere. So this team would have been in a great position with Kawhi. Now, I do want to get, let's get back to the Warriors. Uh, and it's interesting when we talk KD and how he changed the team. Draymond, right? Draymond seems to have been, have been in a three-year shooting slump. But you want to know what's interesting about it? The Draymond shooting slump happened when they signed KD. <laughs> That's when exactly. Draymond started deteriorating as an offensive player. 100%. And I really think that's because he just doesn't touch the ball as much. You don't get as many opportunities. Your game is going to start to deteriorate a little more. You know, you don't really get to practice that part of your game. In a setting, that is. You can practice as much as you want, but it's not going to replicate the real in-game situations that you face and if you're not getting time to work on those skills obviously they're going to start to deteriorate a bit and i think that's interesting what we've seen in these playoffs since kd's been out it seems like draymond suddenly rediscovered his offensive mojo now let's go to the warriors uh kd's gone now we're kind of back to uh 
you know the the, the newer school war, the, the the original warriors with uh, Steph uh, with Steve Kerr, uh, Steph, Draymond, Clay. How have you seen them revert their game? And it seems, and you didn't think they'd be able to beat Houston in Game Six, Jason. I remember talking about this. You didn't think they'd be able to do it, but they do it. Steph Curry plays great in the fourth quarter. I believe he scores like twenty points in the second half. Uh, and now they're up three zero against the Portland Trailblazers. How are they so easily able to revert back? You know, that's actually why I wanted to talk about them in the first place. It's just, it's frightening to see, because I had forgotten what these Warriors were really like without Kevin Durant. Not to say that they're better without him, but this system is just insane. Because what do you do against it? I know Houston choked in their series, but they're ripping the Blazers to shreds. You know, you try to go down low, play big inside, they'll kill you from three. You try to push their guys off the line inside or outside, try to make sure they're not shooting threes, they'll kick it inside to Looney or Bell, they'll kill you that way. Like, what do you do against this system, against the team, against a genius like Steve Kerr? And with Durant out, I think Steve Kerr's genius becomes all the more apparent. Do you think we disrespect Steve Kerr as a coach and his impact on this Warriors run? Because a lot of people always say, you know, Anybody could do this with the Warriors. They have KD, Steph, Draymond, and Clay. But it's a lot more than just that. Absolutely. Absolutely he gets disrespected, or if not disrespected, at least underappreciated for what he's done. Yeah, you have these stars. But like I always say, if you want to see a coach's impact, look at the bench players, look at the role players. A great coach will always bring the absolute best out of these players, will have them completely bought in, to the system he's got for his team. And that's what we see with these role players here. And it's trickled up from them to the starters buying into the system, playing the way he wants them to. He built this team. He's got the stars to play it right, to elevate it. But the system, that's all Steve Kirk. Now, and you broach this, you don't think the Warriors are better without KD, but I could beg to differ. They play better without KD. Like, Steph is playing better without KD. Draymond is playing much better without KD. So is there not a higher level of basketball that they're able to play with when Kevin Durant's not on the floor? Well, when you have Kevin Durant, that's another guy you got to worry about as the other as the other team. you got to defend one of the top three players in the world. I think objectively, yeah, it's going to be a tougher team to to guard, you know, because Durant pulling as much defense as he does, you know, it's like his gravitational pull when he moves around the court. In theory, it opens up shots for Clay and Steph, which most of the time this works. They nail the easy shots because what are you going to do? You know, you send an extra guy to help on, on KD. Some guy is missing on another part of the court. You know Steph is going to find it with that off-ball movement. And with this system with KD and the way that works, they get their easy shots. I think it's worse that way. But as far as how it looks when they play, I think they look better without KD. So they they just look more aesthetically pleasing without Kevin Durant. I think, yeah, it's more free-flowing, you know, like we discussed the isolation aspect to it. With KD not there, there's no isolation aspect for this offense. It's free-flowing. It's what Steve Kerr imagined originally, everyone having bought into his system. But KD being a different player with a different skill set, from years of playing in OKC where it's my turn, your turn with Russell Westbrook to fit into this system, you know? Yeah. Now, with Kevin Durant, like, let's say Kevin Durant does come back, and I want your opinion on this if Kevin Durant does come back. Uh, do you think the Warriors can still maintain the level they're playing at right now? You know, the freedom of movement, all the ball, moving all the off-ball screens, the way everybody's playing right now, and just add Kevin Durant into that because then, theoretically, that just gives them an extra gear. Right. Theoretically, if he could fit into the system, I feel like this would be the greatest team of all time. I mean, there's no reason they would be losing to anybody. But I don't know what that issue is there that he can't sort of give in to the system that they're playing, you know. That when Durant gets the ball, I mean, I'm sure you see it. I'm sure a lot of fans see it who pay attention to the game. You see that offense slow down. You know, you see that free-flowing offense change to being Kevin Durant with the ball, everybody else around, you know? See, if he can find a way to fit in, and I don't know how they do that. I don't know what he has to change to play in ways to be able to fit that system. 
Do you think KD will actually come back? I don't think so, personally. I think he's gone after this season, as you've seen. No, I mean come back in the playoffs. Come back in the playoffs. Oh, come back in the playoffs. Yeah, I do think so. I think that the finals will be back. He's going to be reevaluated this week, I think, this Thursday, they were saying. Now, Jason, if I were to give you uh, five names, five names, it can be anybody from the owner, the GM players, right? Coach, uh, five names, most important people to the Warriors' success, to this whole run, to this whole run. Mark Jackson to Katie being out now. If I give you five names, important names, who are those five names? We ranking them too? Yes. Preferably. So number one, I would say most important in all of this is Bob Myers. Because this wouldn't have happened if you don't have players to begin with. So Bob Myers, you got to put in number one. Number two, I think we got to say Steve Kerr. Getting these players as well as they were developed early by Mark Jackson, Steve Kerr was the one who took them to another level. Right? Number three, I think we have to put Mark Jackson for what he did in the beginning of these players' careers and making sure he didn't push them too hard, too fast, and ruin them before their time, before they were ready, you know? Number four, I would say we probably have to go with Draymond because he's the glue that keeps this team together defensively with all his great passing, with his huge basketball IQ. And finally, I think you got to add KD at the bottom of the list because I don't think they would have been successful as they were the past couple seasons without KD there. Now, Jason, this is slightly contrary. Last brothers off the list. Yeah, off the top five. Why? 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 Why specifically the Splash Brothers off? When you look at those things, don't you think there are other players that could kind of fit that mold of what they do? If there's players that buy into this system, that completely forsake their own selfishness as far as wanting to play their game, if they completely buy into the Steve Kerr system. Let's set that requirement before we think of anybody. Don't you think there's other guys that could fill this void? Mm-hmm. Could Dame and CJ? Well, I think as defenders, I don't know, especially like uh, McCollum versus Thompson. I mean, there's nobody saying that McCollum's going to be anywhere nearly as good a defender as Thompson. But offensively, I really wonder. If they had been slotted in, just imagine... Dame and McCollum slide in where Steph and Clay were for all their careers. Where would they be today playing in that system with that great coaching with no expectation, no pressure, none of that being forced on them? How would their careers be different? I think they probably could have filled in there. That's a good point. Okay. I respect that, Jason. Jason, thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. It's great to be on as always, my man. Now, coming up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, I'm going to explain to you my theory on Kevin Durant. Coming up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk again. I want to thank Jason Kavari for being on the show. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, the Warriors, you know, the progression of the Golden State Warriors, as we know the Golden State Warriors, we go from... Mark Jackson, starting it, to Steve Kerr, Steph Curry, uh, Clay Thompson, you know, to that iteration of the Warriors, to they get KD, then they go up a whole other level, and now they're kind of back to the regular middle-of-the-pack Steve Kerr Warriors with Steph, Draymond, Clay, and they're still killing it. So I think if there's, like, you know, three, four layers to look at this in terms of the evolution of what has become really the modern-day dynasty of the 2010s. Like, this team has been the modern-day dynasty of the 2010s, uh, especially the last five, six years. So I think that was really interesting. Uh, props to Jason for with topic. I thought it was really good too because it was recent. You know, it has a lot to do with what's going on right now in the NBA, right? Kevin Durant's gone. He's not playing with the Warriors right now. We're seeing the Warriors go back to their roots a little bit. So I think it was really uh, good to recency. That was an interesting topic. Uh, props to Jason. Shout out to Jason. I have more talks like that. It's got me excited, Jason. Uh, now I want to talk about my theory. I have a theory. Kevin Durant, and this is my prediction. Kevin Durant will not. Kevin Durant will not come back this postseason. The next time I see Kevin Durant in Beatrice, he'll come back. And he jumps. It will be Madison Square Garden next year when he has Kyrie beside him. Kevin Durant will not play another game in Golden State. Now, here's my favorite part. We want to win another championship. We want to be with the team. You know, he loves it. 
Well, Joker said himself. Right now, Demarcus Cousins is closer to playing Kevin Durant. Now, let me mention, when Demarcus Cousins got hurt in the first round against Los Angeles Clippers, people were saying Demarcus Cousins would be done for the postseason. Doesn't bowl well for Kevin Durant's chances. Kevin Durant not playing a game six that you can make argument in the Western Semi Warriors versus Rockets. He did not play in that game six. And you can make an argument they needed him. Still didn't play. Hasn't played in game Game of an or we gave 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 an or Trained to kill, made 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 trained to Let's say the finals take two weeks because Golden State Warriors, Milwaukee Bucks, we all assume that will be the championship. They'll probably go six, seven games. So it'll take around two weeks. Kevin Durant, this whole this whole week, he's still going to have to wait, wait to get cleared. Then after that, he's probably going to have to have another week to get uh, to get acclimated, to start shooting again, to start practicing on the basketball court. And then not to mention, then we might have another week. He has to get his conditioning right. His lungs are, he doesn't get re-injured. So Kevin Durant does come back. It's possible he won't come back till Game Six or Game Seven. And at that point, are you going to integrate something, someone as big as Kevin Durant, in a Game Six or a Game Seven when the Warriors are flowing and they're playing this beautiful brand of basketball? Are you going to do that? I don't know if he'll even be ready in time. And let's also remember this: Kevin Durant has free agency. As much as Kevin Durant wants to win a ring, and people need to stop getting this mistaken, you know, uh, Kevin Durant doesn't play just play basketball because he loves to play basketball and. He's a ball player, and he, he wants to win championships. First and foremost, the reason he plays basketball is because he gets paid, and he gets paid a hell of a lot of money to do it, and he does it well. Why would he risk that if his Achilles is that bad for a team that he's probably going to leave anyway? Why? What do you think Kevin Durant's agent is telling him right now? Rush back as soon as possible. Rush back. No. Take your time. Take your time. Take your damn time. Take your freaking time. Take all the time in the world. Is it worth it to Kevin Durant if he wins one more ring in Golden State and he tears his Achilles and Achilles just gives out? Is that really worth it to Kevin Durant? No. It's not. So I do not think Kevin Durant will come back. And also, the narrative is funny how narrative in the media can shift narratives. We all know Kevin Durant's a super uber sensitive guy. I mean, for God's sake, he argues with 10-year-olds on Twitter. I mean, what gets more sensitive than that, folks? We got a grown man. He's uh, 30, 31 years old. He's a millionaire. He's secure in his life, right? Very successful. What he does, he's arguing with teenagers on Twitter. So obviously he listens to the media. He listens to fans. And he listens to people. He's rabbit ears. What do you think he's feeling about the, the narrative right now? The Warriors are better without you. Steph plays better without you, KD. Draymond plays better without you. The Warriors don't need you. You don't think that upsets Kevin Durant? You don't think Kevin ran in the back of his like, I guess maybe they don't need me. You don't think that all plays a part? Really, you don't? Because if you don't think it does, I'd tell you crazy. Because if Kevin Durant, a 15-year-old, says to me, yo, bro, you're going to the Warriors is the weakest move ever. Your rings to have an asterisk. I guarantee you he's going to care what Stephen A. Smith says, what Skip Bay says, what a bunch of other media personalities say, what a bunch of other fans say. I guarantee you he's going to care. My theory, my prediction, Kevin Durant will not come back. Will not come back. And I think the Warriors can still win. And I think the Warriors can still win. And I'll tell you. And I, and I told this. And, I, and I've been telling this to everybody. But people don't think the Warriors can beat the Bucks or the Raptors. Answer this question. Think about this. You. I want you to think about this. You listen. Think about this. Are the Bucks or the Toronto Raptors, Toronto Raptors better than the 2016 Cleveland Cavaliers that came back uh, down 3-1 from the Warriors? Are they better? No. I would say they're not. Is Giannis better than LeBron was in 2016? Is Kawhi Leonard better than LeBron was in 2016? I would say no. Now let's look at the second star on each team. Is Chris Middleton 
better than Kyrie Irving was in 2016. No. Who's the second star on, on Toronto? Is Kyle Lowry or Siakam? Are either those two better than, than Kyrie Irving was in 2016? No. Let's remember this. That 2016 Cavs team was very good. You have the best player in the world playing at his best, and you have Kyrie Irving playing like a top-five player in the NBA. And not only that, that series in 2016, a lot of stuff had to go Cleveland's way to win. It was not easy. It was not easy. One, Draymond Green gets suspended. It stops momentum. Number two, Andre Iguodala blows out his back, and, and he was the primary defender on LeBron James. And then three, Andrew Bogut tears his ACL or whatever happened to him, and then you lose your rim protector. A lot of, and Steph Curry was also hobbled that series. A lot of things changed. A lot of things happened. And also, I want to say this again. The series went to Game 7 in Oracle, and Cleveland won 93-89. I'm not great at math. I'm actually pretty bad at math. But that's four points. That is four points. It took LeBron and Kyrie Irving. It took LeBron playing like the best player in the NBA by a wide margin. And it took Kyrie Irving playing like a top five player in the NBA. Both of those guys playing at high levels of basketball to beat the Warriors. To beat just Steph, Clay, and Draymond. And it took a little bit of luck. Can Giannis do that? Can the Bucks or the Raptors put up that level of play? Can they? Because I don't think they can. Not to mention that you can't beat this team with one star. We saw, remember? 2015. LeBron doesn't have Kyrie. It's just LeBron. LeBron averages 36 points, 11 rebounds, shreds the Warriors. It goes to six, but he can't take it home. You want to know why? Because you cannot beat the Warriors with one star playing well. That 46 shot nonsense Kawhi Leonard's been doing, that will not beat the Golden State Warriors. Giannis on scoring 12 points will not beat the Warriors. It will not. It won't. So I think the Warriors are the clear favorite right now. The clear favorite. And not unless Giannis, at 24 years old, he as young as he is, can be as LeBron James was when he's 30, 31, I believe, and playing the best basketball, arguably playing at a, the high, as high as a level as he's ever played in his life for those seven games, especially the last three, four. Now, unless you're telling me Giannis or Kawhi can do that, which I do not think they can, or Chris Middleton's going to suddenly start playing like Kyrie Irving, which he can't, then... Neither of those teams will beat the Warriors. Neither of those teams will beat the Warriors. The Warriors are at another level. So whether Kevin Durant comes back or not, the championship is going to stay in the bag. Now, cut up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, I'm going to tell you why Odo Beckham might not want to play in Cleveland. I'll explain that and much more. Cut up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. Now, quickly, before we get into Odell, uh, why I think Odell could potentially not be happy in Cleveland and some of the warning signs, I do want to talk about Damian Lillard and his injury, right? Uh, separated rips. And, uh, you know, I feel like a lot of people do this a lot of times, right? Especially in sports media, fans, et cetera, et cetera. People don't count injuries, right? You know, when you're hurt. You, you play worse. You're not you're at your normal physical level, so you're not going to play as well. Naturally, right? Not everybody's Michael Jordan can score 60 points or whatever when they have the flu. Uh, or uh, under extreme mental dist- distress, right? Not everybody can have the game of their life like Brett Favre did, like right after hearing his father died. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody's capable of it. Like, right, I- Isaiah Thomas had like 44 points when he found out his sister uh, was tragically uh, died in a car accident. Not everybody can raise their level when they're hurt, when they're going through mental distress. So sometimes it's better not to play, but then we criticize you if you don't play. So it's kind of the double-edged sword. But here's where I start to do have a problem with this type of stuff. And these are where leaks and reporting, uh, in terms of reporting, start to annoy me. Right after game three, Damian Lillard plays like crap. And then all of a sudden, this report comes out. I'm on my computer, then I get a, uh, I get a notification. Damian Lillard, struggling, report separated ribs 
Now, I'm not going to say Damian Lillard was the one that let this information out, who in Portland, I don't know if it was a member of Damian Lillard's family, his mother, his father, his brothers, his sister, I don't know, somebody in Damian Lillard's camp, an agent, a friend of his, but why would you release this information? Because also what the report said, and if you read the report, it happened at the end of game two. So why not release it after game two and Sam hurt? If you're really hurt, like, like why? Well, why release it after game three? Because when you release your game three, you play bad, you're down in all likelihood you know it. everybody else knows that you're gonna get swept it makes it seem like hey guys give me an excuse i had separated ribs that's why i'm playing bad why not wait to release the report after you lose the series why release the report at all why release the report at all when clay's guarding you now clay's gonna know hey i know he has separated ribs hey maybe i can get him in the chest a couple times you know kind of accidentally you know wink wink nudge nudge a little bit gamesmanship why, why release that information? Because when that information gets released at the time it gets released, it makes it look like to me that you want a sympathy card. You want people to be like, oh, Damien, he was playing so well. Now he has separated ribs and he's not playing well. Well, here's what I'm going to tell you. Damien Lillard wasn't, didn't have a great game. He didn't have a great series against the Denver Nuggets. I believe he had like 12 points. And CJ McCollum bailed him out because CJ McCollum had 38 points. He didn't have a great game one against Golden State. Damian Miller didn't play that well in the series so far against the Golden State Warriors. So all I'm saying is, when you release the information, either release it after game two when it happens, or release it after the series, or don't release it at all. Why release that information? Because that information was withholded for a reason. Right? It was withheld for a reason. And I'm starting to think it was released... So we'd give Dame a pass. And I'm not going to do that. Because you want to know what? I was all excited about Dame time when he was cooking Russell Westbrook in the first round. I was like, Dame time. Game time. And now you know what Dame time's looking at? Looking like lame time. No name time. Dame time. It looks like Dame time. The clock's ticking and Dame time is up. And that's just the truth of the matter and the fact of the matter. Now, I do want to talk about this, right? Like I said, Odell Beckham going after Colin Coward, Bacon, Bakerfield going after Colin Coward. Before I talk about why Odell might not want to be in Cleveland, I want to say this about this whole Colin Coward versus Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham controversy. Do these two realize every time they mention Colin Coward's name, they are giving Colin Coward clout? You know, there's a saying, you know, every time, you know, people say this in like rap, like the rap game, if I'm going to talk about rapping for a minute. When people do diss tracks, right, uh, there's a reason why you don't name drop people, right, when you're doing a diss track, right? And why don't you name drop people? Because when you're a powerful and influential person and you name drop somebody, that gives them clout. That gives them respect. That makes it seem like you care about them. When Odell mentions Colin Cowherd's name, when Baker Mayfield mentions Colin Cowherd's name, all of this increased ratings for Colin Cowherd's radio show, gives Colin Cowherd more opportunity for more advertisers, and makes Colin Cowherd much more rich and much more popular, increases his clout. And the truth of the matter is, folks, Colin Cowherd is laughing right now. Colin Cowherd is laughing all the way to the ratings bank, all the way to the cloud bank. Colin Cowherd loves this. That's why if you notice after his radio show, he was like, if Odell and Baker want to apologize, he wouldn't know why he's doing because he knows they're going to apologize. And he knows those two are immature enough where they would fire back at him again. Colin Cowherd wants to trend on Twitter. And you're giving him what he wants. Just a little bit of a tad bit of advice for both Odell and Baker Mayfield. Now, here's why I think Odell might not be too fond of Cleveland. Not to mention the fact that I said, uh, at the beginning of the podcast, some teams that he much would have rather want to go, like the 49ers, the Los Angeles Rams, the New York Jets, stay with the New York Giants, potentially go to the New England Patriots, right? Here's what Colin Cowherd said in terms of uh, Odell Beckham and not being in camp. And Colin Cowherd made some interesting points. Um, and then yesterday, the story about he's been in Cleveland three days of the 65. He came for one, left. Coach said... I'd like him to be here. I've never said that, but he's got to get his mind right, and it's been 65 days since the trade, and he doesn't have his mind right. And then the reaction, and it's sort of proven my point, which is, are you a circus catch, or are you just a circus? Because now you got the quarterback. Now you got the players around you, because Cleveland's got players. How long does it take for Odell to get his mind right? Like, like Colin said, he's, 
He's been. He knew he was traded to Cleveland. I mean, this trade happened months ago. Does he? Is he still sad? Is he sad that he's no longer with the Giants and he can't live in New York? He hasn't been in Cleveland. How how many times has Odell been in Cleveland? Now I want to give you another audio clip. This is Freddie Kitchens. This is when Freddie Kitchens, uh, new head coach, first year head coach for the Cleveland Browns, at me media day when they're talking about voluntary OTAs and whatnot, and he was asked about Odell and why he's not here right now. This is what Freddie Kitchens had to say, and this is what disturbs me. Uh, so uh, I'm just saying it's better for him to be here when he can present his best self. Uh, Emotionally, physically, everything. And uh, Odell Beckham's going to be here in the fall, and he's going to be a good football player in the fall, just like he has been. We just need to incorporate it into a team setting now and move forward with the Cleveland Browns, and that's what we're going to become. But are we there yet? No. And uh, whether Odell's here or not here, we're not going to be the Browns yet. Now, here's what's concerning about this. Uh, Odell will be here when he's ready to present himself in the best uh, place mentally, physically, right? Uh, A.K.A., you know what that means? Odell ain't trying to be here right now. Uh, I ain't trying to be in Cleveland no longer than I have to be. Freddie Kitchens said he'll be here for training camp. You know what that means? Odell and Freddie Kitchens had a conversation, and Odell said this. Yo, Freddie, listen, I'll be here at camp when I have to be, when you can actually find me if I don't show up. Besides that, I ain't trying to step foot in Cleveland no longer than I have to. You got it? You got it? I'll, I'll be ready when the time comes. Uh, that's not what you want from a leader, one of the best players on your team. And it's also concerning because a lot of the concerns I have about this Browns team and Freddie Kitchens is Freddie Kitchens can't control the players. There are a lot of personalities on this team. Jarvis Landry is a personality. Odell Beckham's a personality. Odell Baker uh, is a personality. Can Freddie Kitchens step up to these guys and teach these guys how to play? Will these guys follow his lead? Can Freddie Kitchens be a leader of men? Right now, it sounds like Odell's doing whatever the, whatever the hell Odell wants to do. Would Odell do this if he was in New England? Would he not show up? Would Bill Belichick sit there and, ha and have to answer these type of questions? No, because Odell would respect Bill Belichick enough not to pull that type of crap. That's just the fact of the matter. Next, and I know you might say, you know, he has to get his mind right, body right, he trains differently. But let's remember this. First year head coach, new program. The Browns, they're a franchise that's historically struggled. It makes sense to go there, you know, learn the playbook, immerse yourself with the team, with the fans, the city, the culture. It's your first year, and there's a first-year head coach, you first-year coaching staff. You want to get things going, so you're ready to rock and roll when the season comes. Baker Mayfield's a young quarterback. Learn, you know, his timing. You know, develop a wavelength. You know, team bonding, team chemistry, all that stuff's important, especially for the first year. And not only that, the reports, all the major Browns players were there in camp. Baker Mayfield was there. Jarvis Landry was there. Miles Garrett was there. Nick Chubb was there. If all the star players, all the mainstream players, all the star players, all the starters, if all, the, all of them are there, why is Odell not there? That's a problem. That's showing favoritism. And I'm telling you, that does not play well in the locker room when a guy like Miles Garrett, who's quiet, doesn't bother anybody, and he's like, hey, I'm showing up, I'm doing everything, and Odell just got here, and he's doing whatever the hell he wants to. It does not play well in a locker room. It causes controversy. It's what tears the locker room apart. That is what I am worried about. That's what I'm concerned about. And that's what I think could be potentially the undoing of the Browns. Listen, folks, the Browns, most talented roster in the AFC. And it's not even close. They have a better roster than the Patriots. They have a better roster than the Chiefs. They have a better roster than the Ravens. They have a better roster than the Chargers. They have a better roster than the Steelers. But you know what I am concerned about? What's up here? What's up in the head? Where their priorities are. Odell doesn't have to go to camp. He does not have to go to voluntary OTAs. But you want to know what he should and there's always a saying, and I will always say this saying, it's a saying I've learned, the saying I will say for the rest of my life. Just because you are right, it doesn't make you right. Odell Beckham is right. It's his prerogative to train on his own, to work out on his own, to get ready on his own. Odell is right. The NFL and the NFL uh, owners have a uh, CBA where the, the workouts are voluntary, and they're voluntary for a reason. You don't have to show up, and the team can't find you. And the team can't find you. Odell is well within his right as an employee and as a man and as a person to do what he wants to do. But that doesn't make him right. 
Just because he is right, it doesn't mean what he's doing is right. This is wrong. He should be in camp working out with his teammates, integrating himself with the fans, integrating himself with the community, and getting ready to have a good year. And he only has to do it one year. He doesn't have to do this every year. It's only because of this. The Browns are a young team. First year head coach, quarterback. You're new to this team yourself. Integrate yourself. How many times do you think Odell been in Cleveland? Not many. And you want to know why? You want to know why he hasn't been in Cleveland? Because he hasn't been trying to be in Cleveland. And I will always say this. Uh, somebody once told me this. People will make time for you when they really care about it. When they really want to do it. People will make time when they care. Right now, Odell's not making time because he doesn't care. And that's a problem. Now, Coming up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to be entering our WCET FM radio network. Only portion of the show can be found on latenightinthemidlands.com. Going to have Scotty Johnson on. Going to talk to Scotty about the Eastern Conference Finals. Giannis, Kawhi, the whole deal. Also going to have Joey Gibson on the show. And I'm going to talk to Joey about Zion, RJ Barrett, and the Western Conference Finals. Cut up next, second hour of Barbershop Sports Talk. You won't want to miss it. <laughs> 